Sometimes uh, it's surprising for people to learn that somebody like me, who is a pastor, and I've been a pastor for, I don't know, going on 30 years, that some of my favorite people to be around and spend time with and to hang out with are people who have never been to church, uh, people who have no background or experience going to church, uh, because I grew up going to church, and I, I was there every week from the time that I can remember. Uh, and, and can we just be honest, if you grew up like me, um, church and Christianity can kind of be weird sometimes. So the churches that I grew up in, uh, we were against all kinds of things. Uh, I don't know what churches that you were like, you know, you grew up in were like, but we were against all kinds of things. We were against uh, rock and roll. We were against dancing. We were against drinking. We were against tattoos. Uh, there were certain people that were against playing cards or having any sort of piercings. Um, people were against playing pool. I'm not, I never really understood that one. Uh, people were against movies. So many things that you just weren't supposed to do. It was hard to keep track of them all. And, and if somebody was like, hey, what do you guys do? Well, we just, we don't. Like, that's what we do. <laughs> if it sounds like fun, I better not. That's probably not good for me. It's probably sin, right? Like, and, and I had no idea what we were for, but I knew there was a huge list of things that we were against. And if it was a really big deal, there'd be a boycott. Um, Christians in our country kind of have a long history of boycotting things, everything from cartoons to books and TV shows and movies and people and celebrities and music and toys and theme parks and clothing brands, you name it, and we have boycotted it. From Disney to Harry Potter to television itself, forget the shows, just television in general, Target and Starbucks and PetSmart and the Dixie Chicks and Pokemon and Heinz Ketchup. There was even a temporary moment in 2012 where we lost our minds and Christians decided they wanted to boycott Chick-fil-A, but then we remembered, oh yeah, it's the Lord's chicken, <laughs> right? Plus it's so dang tasty. And the craziest part of all of it is that if you went to a church like that, you couldn't opt out of that stuff because if anybody found out you weren't boycotting what you were supposed to boycott, then they'd bo they'd just boycott you just like Jesus would. And you'd probably end up on some list of people and things that they were against. But the stupidest part of all of it was that most people were faking it. They were saying verbally that they were against things. They were boycotting certain things, but they were only pretending. Most people just kept right on doing the very things that they were doing, listening to the things they were doing before and watching the things they were, they were watching before and shopping where they were shopping before. It was ridiculous. Now, of course, you should be mindful about who or what you give your time and money and attention to. Of course you should. But it, it seems like, Lots of people, lots of us, lots of Christians buy into this basic sort of one-size-fits-all assumption that if it's bad for anyone or if they did anything bad, and then it's bad for everyone. Where it's not, just, it's not just something you shouldn't do or someplace you shouldn't go. You better not even think about it. And of course, the opposite of true is true too, right? If it's good, if they've done some good, if it's good for somebody, then it's good for everybody. And if you're a good Christian, you'll prove it by doing that thing. You better do that thing. You better shop there. You better be for that. You better be up with that, those people, right? And nobody talked about it, but there was this underlying assumption that 
we're all affected by and respond to everything in the same way. That somehow we're inspired the same and tempted the same and encouraged the same and we grow the same and we're all just the same, which obviously quickly falls apart no matter what part of your life you're talking about, but it's especially true spiritually. Like we're all clearly equal before God, but we're all clearly not identical before God. We're not the same. It doesn't mean that there aren't things that are good for all of us or bad for all of us, generally speaking. It just means that most of the time there's more to it. It's more complicated than that. Now, what does any of that have to do with God speaking to us? Because that's really the question that we've been trying to answer all this month. Well, if there's one thing that becomes obvious when you begin reading the scriptures, it's that God enjoys speaking to people in unexpected places and certainly in unexpected ways. I mean, the last few weeks, we've talked about how the Bible is full of all kinds of stories of all these different creative ways that God has spoken to people throughout history, whether it was a talking donkey or fire or clouds or people or angels or dice. And when you read those stories, most of the people in them weren't expecting to hear from God in the way that they did hear from God, but they did hear from God that way. Because God often speaks in unexpected places and in unexpected ways. And because of that, hearing him can be an experiment in whether or not we're actually paying attention. Which, okay, all of that sort of makes, makes a lot of sense to most of us, but there's got to be limits, right? I mean, God can't speak through everything, right? And we kind of ex- assume and expect that he would speak to us through the Bible or through a sermon or worship or Christian stuff, but could God possibly speak through things that aren't Christian? Could God speak to something that other people might actually find offensive or that you might find offensive? Could he speak through something like a pop song with explicit lyrics or through a TV show or movies that definitely aren't for the kids? Well, if you've been around church for any length of time, it almost feels like a trick question trying to figure that one out, right? Because you know, and, or maybe at least have read or heard stories of people who experienced God in extraordinary ways through something that wasn't necessarily Christian. But you've also spent enough time at church experiencing all of the moralizing that we do at church, and right? So even if your list of what God is against or what's okay and not is not okay is different from the one that my church had growing up, you still have a list somewhere. It might not be written down, but you have a list somewhere of the things that Christians do and they don't do. And honestly, if God can speak through anything, what are we supposed to do with that? How are we supposed to approach the tidal wave that's coming at us all of the time from culture and media and entertainment? Do we just embrace it all? I mean, is anything out of bounds? How do we know what God is speaking through and when he's speaking through it? Well, that's what we're going to try to tackle today. Well, to begin with, I think one of the problems we have is that we tend to act like either everything in culture is toxic and evil or nothing is. Like we, we, that we usually have one of those default assumptions, especially right now, right? In our culture, everybody is either super into everything, and most of those people tend to be younger, or everybody is sort of all stirred up and outraged and looking for the boogeyman and everything, and most of those people tend to be older, or at least have kids. But neither of those extremes is really that helpful. So 
In the Old Testament, there was a guy named Isaiah and he had a vision of heaven. And in his vision, there were angels flying around and they were shouting to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And that word glory, it doesn't just mean splendor or majesty. It actually means weight or significance. I mean, think about that for a second, that the whole earth is full of the weight and the significance of God. The whole earth, not part, not some, not most, the whole thing, no exceptions. I mean, think about the deep, dark, seedy places. Yep, even in that place. Think about the people that you're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure those people, there's God's not around those people at all. Yep, even with those people. There's another place in the Old Testament where God spoke to a a man named Jacob after he'd done a bunch of shady stuff to his family and God spoke to him in a dream about his future. And when Jacob woke up, he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't aware of it. See, God had been there all along. Jacob just started to realize it. In in Psalm 24, there's a guy named David who took it a step further and he wrote this. He said, the earth is the Lord's and everything and everyone in it, the world and all who live in it. It's all the Lord's. It all belongs to him. See, God isn't somewhere else. He's right here. It's his world. He made it and he's present everywhere in it. Now, if, if, if all of that is true, then we shouldn't be surprised, right? When, when truth turns up in some kind of strange places that we didn't expect it to. And we probably shouldn't just accept or reject something just because the label on the outside says Christian or not Christian. Here's what I mean. Just because something's labeled as Christian doesn't mean that it's automatically true or good or beautiful. I mean, let me just be honest. There's some Christian music out there that's terrible, not morally, It's just not good music. It lacks creativity and the lyrics are recycled and trite and cliche. So is it possible for for a Christian band to give Jesus a bad name because they're a terrible band? Or Jesus is like, yeah, that's not my music. Those people do not represent me, right? I, I think so. And the same I think is true of movies and stories and shows and art. Here's my point. Christian, it's a great noun, but it's a really bad adjective. And most of the way we use it is as an adjective, right? You don't have Christian plumbing or appliances in your house. You don't have a Christian engine in your car. You don't have a Christian car. You might have one that you think is demonic because it keeps breaking down, but that is a different series. The truth is God often speaks, as I've said, in unexpected places in unexpected ways. And on top of that, we have to admit that not everything in in the world, not everything in life impacts everybody in the same way. I mean, I know pastors who started a Bible study in a bar while the bar was open, not after hours, not some other time, right? And, and, And through their Bible study, people found and said yes to Jesus by having spiritual conversations over a beer. I also know people who would never drink, much less set foot in a bar because alcohol, alcoholism destroyed their family when they were kids. Same issue, same environment, completely opposite approach and effect on two people who genuinely love God. 
So all of that to say that the reality is way more complicated then we often act like it is because we, we, don't, we don't like that. We want things to be simple and easy, which is why we all, you know, so many of us push for this sort of one size fits all rules for everybody and we place limits on what God can speak through and what he can't speak through. And if you go there or you buy that or you do that or you watch that or you listen to that, then you're just not a good Christian. Now, obviously, when you read the scriptures, there are rules, But with God, the rules always, always, always flow from relationship. And relationships are messy because people are different, and different is difficult. I mean, if you've been a parent, if you have more than one kid, you can't just, you you can't treat them the same because they're not the same human beings. Now, the funny thing is, is none of this is new or revolutionary. There's a story in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, in chapter 17, where a guy named Paul, who was an apostle who had seen Jesus and it changed his life. And this guy is doing some speaking, but he's not speaking in a church. He's speaking to a group of leaders and thinkers and city officials in the city of Athens. And he does something really surprising when he stands up to talk to them. Check it out. It's in Acts chapter 17. We're going to begin with verse 16 and read through verse 28, but I'm going to skip little chunks here and there. So if you want to follow along on the screen, you can do that. It says this. It says, while Paul was in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. And so he reasoned, with the, he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Then, verse 19, then they took him and brought him to the meeting at the Areopagus. Verse 22, Paul then stood up and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you today. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out for them their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands or where they would live. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So, um, There are, in my mind, a few stories in the book of Acts that outside of the life of Jesus that I think are some of the most important parts of the entire New Testament for understanding how Christians and churches should behave in the culture, in in the world that they exist in. And and this story is one of them for me. It's an incredible story. So Paul was a Jew, but unlike most other Jews at this time, he was also a Roman citizen. And so he goes to Athens because him and his buddies, they got hung up and he was waiting for some of his friends and they're on this missionary journey and he had to go wait for them. So he goes to Athens to wait for his friends. And when he gets there, he's walking around, checking out the city and he's disturbed by what he sees. It'd be like, 
going to Portland, all right? Like you go to Portland and you drive around and you are disturbed by some of the things that you see. And what he's disturbed by is how people are living. He's disturbed by their philosophies and their thinking and what they worship. And so how does he, how does, how does he respond? What does he do? He, well, he did, he did what we would do, right? He immediately finds the church. He goes and finds the synagogue and the people that think and believe like him. And he's like, look, what's wrong with you guys? Athens is going to hell in a handbasket. Have you, been, have you guys been preaching against idolatry here? Like clearly you're not posting enough memes or rants on social media, standing up for the truth and calling sin, sin, because they're still doing it. And when he's done there, he goes into the marketplace and naturally he starts these giant boycotts of all the merchants who sold and promoted and encouraged anything that violated his beliefs or that he found disturbing, especially the merchants that had idols, which by the way, was all of them. And when that didn't work, he started a Christian marketplace where all of the merchants would be Christian merchants and would sell Christian goods like food and tools and weapons and leather. And the latest worship songs would be playing on the harp while you're shopping. And the chosen was looped on every TV. I mean, obviously, I mean, you, you want to support good people who believe like you instead of giving your money to those godless pagans over there. After all, they worship idols. Who knows what they're capable of? Am I right? I mean, it's fine if they want to worship idols, but don't be cramming it down my throat by putting it all over your city and all over the marketplace and all over the schools and the theaters and the songs and the poems and the government. No, Paul, of course, he doesn't do any of the things that we would do or that we are doing. Now, listen, don't get offended or maybe be offended, but don't stay offended. I like The Chosen, okay? It's a good show. I like worship music. But those aren't the only kinds of things that God speaks through. So what does Paul do? He spends his time with people. He spends his time talking and getting to know them, living around them, doing business with them. So much so that eventually they come and invite him to come to their gathering and give a TED Talk. And they don't go to church with him. He goes with them into their space. And that by itself is huge. But here's the part that I really want you to see for today. When he stands up to speak, this is what he says right at the very end. Verse 28, he says, For in him we live and move and have our being. He's talking about God. And some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now, it's easy for us to read that and miss how absolutely stunning and brilliant that it is. Because instead of condemning them for all of the idols that were so disturbing to them, he actually quotes from two of their like rock star poet philosopher guys. He says, in him we live and move and have our being. That was a direct quote from a guy named Epimenides who had written, who was really super famous. And then he says, we are his offspring. It was written by a guy named Aratus. Both of these lines, they would have all known them. I mean, in some ways it would have been like walking in, in our culture, 
in some ways, stick with me, and quoting like Tupac or the Beatles or a Kanye song or a, a line from Breaking Bad or from a Tolkien book. Like if, if you combined like Thomas Jefferson and Billy Graham and Bob Dylan into one, right? That, that is who these guys were in, their, in this culture, which is honestly, it's pretty cool and interesting that he quotes them, but here's the really important part. He wasn't just quoting them so that he could relate to them, right? So that he could connect to them. It was actually bigger than that because did you see what he did? He claimed what they said as truth, as part of the case that he was making in telling them about Jesus. Paul believed that God was speaking in places and in ways and through people and through things that nobody expected or would have identified. Because the guys who wrote these words, they didn't believe in Paul's God. And they certainly didn't write those words about Paul's gods. They wrote them about other gods and how we are the offspring of that God. But Paul takes it and is like, I like that. Thank you very much. And he makes it about his God. And he, he doesn't just recognize that there may be some truth there in what was said. He just claims it as true, ultimately true for himself. He doesn't care who said it or who they were, who they were even saying it about. What they said was true. And so he claims it as his own. See, I think Paul seemed to believe that no matter, that, that, that all truth is God's truth, no matter where it's found or who's saying it. I mean, think about it this way. What other truth could there be except for God's truth? So that if something is good and honorable and beautiful and true, it belongs to God. You can let him speak through it. After all, Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. There can be no other truth than God's truth. See, I think Paul had spent so much time with Jesus, so much time in the scriptures, learning to hear the voice of God. He was able to hear his voice in almost everything, everywhere he went. I wonder what wisdom God is speaking to you, but you've missed it because of the way it came packaged, because it didn't have the right label on the outside, or because of who was saying it. Because the reality is, God's truth often turns up in some strange places, some unexpected places, some places that we didn't even think to look. I have two adult children, and I'm, I enjoy music, but I'm not a music person. Like, most of the time, I opt for putting something else on besides music. And, but my kids are super, like, over-the-top. Music is life for them. And... I cannot tell you the number of times in their life where we've had conversations, music that has spoken to them. That's not Christian music that God has used to speak into their life. Top 40 songs that I'm just like, really? Wow, okay. You know what I am? I am a, I am a, a movie guy. I love films. I love stories. I love visual stories. We, in fact, um, at the first church that we planted, we used to do a series every summer just called God at the Movies, where we'd take some of the movies that were in theaters and talk about the truth that was in those movies. Because God's truth, all truth is God's truth, no matter where it's found or who's saying it. Now, I don't want you to miss this. God didn't just speak to Paul through those poems 
by those guys. He used them to speak through Paul to the crowd at the Areopagus. And I actually think, this is why I think this is important. Because I think God wants to do the same thing with us. Because in this place, especially if you're a church person, we have a particular language that we speak. And that language is not the language that our culture speaks. Our culture speaks a particular language. And most of that language has to do with entertainment, music, writing, books, stories, films. We don't speak that language very well. But what would happen if we actually learned how to speak that language a little bit better? If we actually engaged with those things in a way that we're like, wow, look at what God is saying here. Because I think he wants to do the same thing in our life. Did you catch what happened, what Paul said in verses 26 and 27? Paul said this, he says, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and set the boundaries of their lands. And God does this. He did that so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and even find him, though he's not far from any one of us. So that God, what he's saying is this, God puts us exactly where he wants us so that we can find and know him. But he puts us in a specific place and in a specific time and in a specific culture. And then he begins to speak to us and reveal himself through that place and through that time and through that culture. Why? So that we would reach out for him and we would find him. But it's not just for us, it's for the people around us so that we could help them hear his voice speaking through that time and place and culture so that they could reach out and find him and know him for themselves. So then, of course, all of this begs the question, the million-dollar question, well, how do we learn how to hear what God is saying through our culture without confusing its voice its values for his voice and his values. Because there's obviously, reading the story, there's a lot at stake for us and for those around us. Now, I know at the beginning, like I, maybe you didn't think so, but I, I, I can be kind of harsh when it comes to like that boycott list stuff. All that stuff that we weren't, you know, we were taught that you weren't supposed to do. And honestly, Looking back, a lot of it was misguided, parts of it silly, but some of it was necessary. And even, I, w- I would go so far and to say most of it started from a really good place, right? It started from the recognition that Jesus said that his kingdom wasn't of this world. And so, yeah, I mean, we live in a particular place, time, and culture, but if we're a follower of Jesus, we, we shouldn't be a product of that place, time, and culture, because his kingdom isn't of this world, right? So what do we do? Well, let me first give you something practical, and then I'm going to give you something biblical. Hopefully, they'll all come together and make sense. The first thing is this, that we we have to learn to be a student, not just a consumer or a critic. I mean, most of us tend to fall into one of those two extremes where we're like an unconscious consumer or we're an unforgiving, unrelenting critic. I mean, it's not absolute. I mean, even the most unconscious and sort of mindless consumer among us, like we have a line somewhere that we won't cross, something that we've deemed as going too far. And and even the most unforgiving critic has things that they enjoy and participate in about the culture, right? 
But in general, most of us tend to kind of be bent one way or the other towards those two extremes or those attitudes towards the, the world around us and the culture around us. And, and, and honestly, because the political environment, which obviously we're gonna start talking about next week, is so charged that it gets inserted into everything. And, and so everything is political. And you, of course, have a team that you want to win. And so you just bend towards whatever that team says. But neither of those attitudes are really that helpful. And honestly, probably a lot of us are some sort of mix of both where we're super skeptical and critical about certain things and we sort of mindlessly consume other things. But here's the problem. Critics would rarely hear God in the culture around them because they're too busy judging it. And consumers would rarely hear God in the culture around them because they're just too busy engaging, indulging, and enjoying it. But a student would step back and observe and listen and begin to weigh out what's healthy and what's good and what's not. They don't accept things wholesale, but they don't reject them either. They look beyond the packaging and the label to what's really going on inside. Students ask questions. They look for and listen to truth. They learn what to enjoy and what things for them that they need to limit, what things for them they need to reject outright altogether. See, God can speak through anything, but not everything impacts everybody the same way. Two people can take in the exact same input and it'd be okay, maybe even good and helpful for one, but it'd be toxic for the other. So then what, what the heck, how do you know? Well, here's the biblical, I think, process that, that the apostle Paul walked through when there was people arguing around something like food and that doesn't seem that spiritual to us, but it was way more at stake for them. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says this. He says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you, right? You say I'm allowed to do anything, but I want to remind you that not everything is beneficial for you. Don't be concerned for your own good. Be concerned for the good of others. And so he lays out, I think we can sort of grab onto some questions there that we should regularly be asking ourselves. Is God... Is God speaking to you through it? Could he speak to you through this? Is it good for you? Is there a benefit, some redemptive value in it for you? Does it help you move toward being more loving and generous and kind and patient and self-controlled? Here's an obvious example, okay? You can answer, we could probably answer pretty quickly a lot of these and more of the, most of the, experiences we're going to have are more involved. But if you, let's just take porn for an example. That's an extreme example, right? Is it good for you? No. That's not even Bible, right? There's tons of, tons and tons of research and data out there. That has not, nothing to do with anybody that had a moral ax to grind or a Bible or a, a, a spiritual text that was telling them that it was wrong. It's just the data and research says it's not good for you. Is there a benefit or redemptive value in it for you? No, there's not. Does it help you move towards being more loving and generous and kind and patient and self-controlled? No, it does not. Right? So you can begin to wrestle with these things and see like, okay, now, of course, you're going to have situations, you're going to have experiences where maybe the answers are a little bit more, you're going to have to dig around a little bit more. You're going to have to spend some time 
kind of searching it out for yourself. But here's the paradox in what he's saying. The way that you look out for the good of others isn't by policing or controlling what you think may or may not be good for them. It's by taking responsibility for what is and is not good for you. The only caveat to that is if you're a parent, you are the one that decides. You're the one that has to discern what's good and, good and not good for them. But even when you're trying to figure that out, right, it's not always consistent. Can I just tell you in my own experience, I've had times where there have been shows or music or think, movies that I've really wanted to see and I've started into them. And there's just times where I just know this is not good for me right now. I need to not take this in. I need to not watch this. I need to stop watching this. And I've listened to that. I've learned to pay attention to that. When I was super young, I was just like, well, you know, who cares? What's who? There's nothing wrong with it. Just watch it. Now I'm starting to listen to my soul and go, no, this is not good for me right now. And there's times where I've set that on the shelf thinking I'll probably never go back to that. And sometimes that's been true. There's things that I've never gone back to. But then there's things that, that I set aside because I just was like, no, that's not good for me. I need to, it's not good for me right now. And I've gone back and engaged and be like, okay, this is a com I'm in a completely different place. This is, I don't have the same experience watching or listening or being a part of this experience. We don't like that because it's messy and it takes effort. It takes us being engaged with our own heart and mind and our own life, what's good for our soul all the time. We'd much rather have everything just be clear cut, black and white, and it's either in that category or in that category. And if it's that category, don't touch it, don't talk about it, don't do it, don't go over there. And if you do, you're bad, right? We, we, and we want that to apply to everyone in every situation, no matter what. But most of the time, it doesn't. And it's not. The principle from the scripture for sorting all of that out, the big idea is just this idea of discernment. You being able to discern what's good for you in this moment right now. It asks that question, is this good or not good for me personally right now? Given all that's true of me, given all that's true of my relationships, given all that's true of my relationship with God, is this good or not good for me right now? So stop and think about your life for a moment. Not society, not culture. Think about your life. Think about all the things that you take in, probably more than you realize, because we have this little pocket device that screams at us nonstop, look at me, 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 right? So you're probably taking in more than you think. But what if instead of bouncing back and forth between consumer and critic, you started just being an observer, a discerning student. I, I can't help but wonder about the strange places you might actually discover God's voice and God's truth. When we started our first church, we wanted to have a church that spoke to people who were not church people. And so when it came time for Christmas, we'd Back then, I think lots of, lots of churches have Santas now, but back then, having, church, having a Santa come to your church was not a thing. And people were like, oh my gosh, you had Santa. Do you hate the baby Jesus? The crazy thing is, and I didn't know it at the time, 
the Santa we had, I think he actually was Santa. Like he looked like him more than any Santa I've ever seen. Um, his name was Rich. Didn't know Santa's name was Rich. Uh, but Rich came, and from the first time that he came, I didn't know this, but in talking to them, he came and he did this party for us. And all these kids, all these people from our community came. It was this huge thing. And Rich took the time to sit with these kids and begin to talk with them about Jesus. And I was like, see, Rich, you are Santa. (laughs) But what I immediately thought was a ton of the negative people that were just outraged. How could, it's not about presence and sense about Jesus. I, I know that, right? Their kids missed out on hearing the voice of God, the truth of God in a moment from Santa Claus. So there's a reason why we did this conversation last. It's because it's complicated. It's not easy. And we wanted you to have four other layers ahead of time to filter things through, starting with Jesus, which we did at the beginning of the month, and then the scriptures, and then how God speaks to us to the people around us. And then last week, talking about your conscience and the things that God whispers into your soul. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gave this simple metaphor where he compared us to trees. And he said, you can tell a lot by a tree by the fruit that it produces Because the fruit tells you what kind of tree it is. And it also tells you if it's healthy or if it's diseased. And it it tells you something about the soil that's feeding that tree. And and then he basically says, you're not any different. You can know who people are by the, the things that their life is producing. You can know if their life, if their spiritual, if their soul is diseased or not by the things their life, by the, you can know what the soil is that's feeding their life by what their life is producing. And so when your life is producing good things, why, why would you go, I'm not, I'm not going to take that into my life and just dismiss it out of hand? You look at the fruit of things that are around you. Sometimes we just, there was this analogy when I was a youth pastor um, because when I first got into ministry, I was a product of all of those lists of things that you shouldn't. And so in my early youth pastor days, I grew up in churches where um, we did, (laughs) we did things, we had things where we had nights where there was a sin bin. Okay. And it was this big barrel and all the students could bring all the sin in their life, like their CDs, listening to the non-Christian music. And you think I'm joking, but it was real, all right? And they threw it all in there, and there's all kinds of stuff. And some of it was like really powerful, heavy stuff, people putting drugs in there and all kinds of craziness. But most of it was just like church kids who felt guilty for listening to you 2 because they weren't quite Christian, or they might have been, or they were once, but they don't sound like, you know, it's like, And then they would squirt all this lighter fluid on it and light it on fire and everybody, look at the sin burning up. The other analogy that got used all the time was like, hey, if you you take a little bit of poop and you mix it into brownies and you cook it into the brownies, right? 
Would you eat those brownies? That's what it's like when you're listening to that music. You're taking a little bit of the world and you're mixing it in, right? See, I actually think that the closer analogy is that all a lot of that stuff, that God composts it into the soil of our life. That if we're discerning, if we learn how to live, if we learn to pay attention to our soul and actually ask what's good for us, and sometimes you won't even know why. There's times where I've engaged with the movie and I cannot tell you why. I just know this isn't good for me. I need to not watch this right now. God will begin to speak to you in unexpected places, in unexpected ways, and begin to compost that stuff into the soil of your life to grow you, to produce fruit in you, to help the people he's positioned near you hear his voice so that they might reach out for him and possibly find him and know him because he's not far from any of us. Let's pray together.